as I mentioned earlier, we have been in the series called This Is New Life. We were called it This Is Us, but I think that title's been taken. So we're, we're, we're talking about this is, this is new life. And we, we are talking about um, what is our heart attitude towards our stuff. We think our things, you know, that, that we, we so uh, sometimes grasp like with a depth grip that we want to hold on to. And I, and I want to look at a passage in, in 2 Samuel 9 that for some of you may be a little bit obscure, kind of wondering where I'm going to go with this one. But 2 Samuel 9, we want to look at the story where, where King David is looking for someone that he can be generous towards. Someone particularly that might be related to Jonathan, who is his best friend. So what's the context? Let me just remind you of the story a little bit. Israel uh, comes to the, the prophet Samuel and says, we want a king. And Samuel says, not a good idea. But they said, no, no, we really want a king. So they made him king, King Saul. So God set up King Saul the best way possible. First king of Israel. Uh, there's prophecies, all sorts of blessing. I mean, he is set up so well. And he starts well, but it falls apart pretty quickly. And he kind of says to God, you know, God, I got this. I kind of know what I'm doing now. So I got this. Don't worry about it. You can back, kind of back away. And God does. And if we don't want God in our life, God says, great, you're on your own. I hope that goes well. But I think I see you heading towards a train wreck right now. Right. And that's basically what happens to Saul. He quickly goes off the rails and, and life begins to fall apart for him. And God says, as I remove my presence from him, my presence will rest and bless someone else. And so he finds a shepherd boy by the name of David, who Samuel then anoints as the next king. The problem is, is the current king is still on the throne and he's not amused that someone else has made king in his stead. And so he then spends the next few years, day by day, month after month, year after year, for years, hunting this guy David down to kill him. Hunts him down like a dog. And so David has been anointed king, and yet he's not actually stepped into that yet, yet. Instead, he's in God's school of being trained what it means to be someone after God's own heart, because God really is going to train him into this thing. And all during this season, he has choices to make. As someone is desperately trying to kill him, and the guy who has all power in the country is trying to assassinate him, he has a choice through all his escapades and running away and hiding the temptation is to become bitter and angry and resentful and mad at God and the whole thing. Instead, showing that he is, in fact, the right man, the man after God's heart, what he does is he takes in other people and protects them, other families. He actually, when he has stuff given to him, he actually gives it away. There's repeated passages that show this, but we don't have time to go into it right now. He actually deliberately, in all that adversity, is generous. And all that adversity, when he could have taken vengeance, he doesn't. Instead, he, he blesses everyone around him and is generous in an incredible ways. He protects them. And, and the, it continues, that story continues all the way till now where he is the king. And being generous in adversity is one thing, but I'm told it's much harder to be generous when you're prosperous. Because you got more to protect. you got more stuff that you got to hold on to, investments that you think define you now. And so David is in a place of prosperity, and what is he going to do? Is he going to be equally generous? So 2 Samuel chapter 9, let's read that together and, and look at this pretty remarkable story. 
David is now on the throne. He asks, verse 1, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there is a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before King David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba at your service? He replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makir, son of Amiel in Lodavar. So King David had him brought from Lodavar and from the house of Makir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth showed up, Jonathan, the son of Saul, the son of Saul, the son of Saul, uh, Jonathan, the, the, uh, came to David and bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he said. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table because he's part of the family now. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, who is your servant? What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I am given your master's grandson Everything belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land firm and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, which means he's rich and well-to-do. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at the king's, at David's table like one of the king's sons. He also had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was lame in both feet. Let's pray together. Lord, we look to your words. We want to take in your words this morning, and you say to us, give, and it will be given to you. And Lord, we look at those words that first we're to give, and then it'll be given to us. Give, and it'll be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And I pray, Holy Spirit, come with that good measure in our thinking and our feeling. Come with that good measure, press it down, shaken together, running over in abundance, will be poured out into our laps. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And Lord, I pray that as we are together this morning, that you would speak to people who struggle with a poverty mentality, people who struggle always because of indebtedness, people who struggle with depression, People who struggle with, with tension in their, in their body, stress in their body, because they have always lived on the edge and they feel like they can't make it to the next day. And I pray to the Holy Spirit that you would come in their great abundance and press down, shake together, pour out into their hearts and minds a sense that you are Lord God. You're a God of the harvest. You're a God of abundance. You're a God who is present. You're a God who knows them. You're a God who comes and wants to love on them and bless them. So Holy Spirit, come, come. And do that this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Here's the incredible thing, and the first thing I want to share with you. Generosity seeks an opportunity. Generosity is proactive, it's not reactive. It looks for blessing. It gets up in the morning and says, man, who am I going to bless? Proverbs 11.25, Pastor Jason referred to this. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And, and, and we know that, that when we have gone out and, and, and Jeff, who leads our outreach ministries, we've gone out and prayed for people on the street. And when we fed people last Saturday and we did the health clinic to bless people who are struggling with physical things. So we're blessing people with, with food, with prayer, with washing their cars, with, with health clinic, with all these different ways we touched on people. Every time that we do it, we feel like we're blessed more. Every time we do it, we feel like we had this adrenaline rush. Wow, we got to bless people and pray for them and feed them and wash their car for free and do all this stuff that we do, and we feel like we benefited. We feel like we're the ones who, who won out on this thing. When we do, we feel this adrenaline rush every time because the Holy Spirit blesses us. And so David is looking for that opportunity. And so he asks, is there anyone left of the house of David to whom I can show kindness? So what happened? Where, I mean, where did they go? There was a tradition in the ancient Near East that when a king died and a new king took over, what he did is he came and he slaughtered everybody. I'm going to kill every son of that prior king. I'm going to kill his whole council. Anyone related to him, I'm going to get rid of because they're going to be bad news for me in my future. And so they would regularly come in and just kill everyone. So what happens is a new king comes up and the former king's family do what? They disappear is what they do. They go into hiding. That's why he's asking, where are they? Because they're waiting for the other shoe to fall. They're waiting for someone to knock on that door. When that knock comes, it isn't going to be good. But this is a man after God's own heart. And he's going to do the exact opposite. And so what he does is he summons a former employee of King Saul by the name of Ziva to find out if there's anyone alive. Remember that, that King Saul and all his sons were slaughtered on that last battle by the Philistines. They're all dead. They've all been killed in, in that battle. And David's now is going to come in and bless the family that's left. But he's got to find them first. And so what he's going to be, do is he's going to be as generous in adversity as he is now in prosperity. That he's going to do both. He does both. He lives out both. Why? He understands that money is a symptom. Well, Pastor, if you knew my credit card debt, you wouldn't be saying that. <laughs> if you knew my, my struggle to pay, pay rent or uh, that, that old beater of a car I've been driving around and you're talking about money as a, system, as a symptom, feels pretty real to me right now. But money isn't the problem. The problem is the lifestyle that we were raised in, the education or lack that we got about how we invest and, and how we earn money. The, 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 the actual spirit of poverty goes from generation to generation. So many people who are raised in poverty think that's normal and they continue to live that way. That poverty goes from generation to generation. It's actually hand down in the mentality of people. And so we make bad decisions. We, we have poor lifestyle choices. We waste our money or we don't invest our money or whatever it may be. But money is, the, is a symptom. It is not the issue. But, but we wrestle to struggle to believe that that is actually the case. And, and we believe that when things are tough and financially we're hurting, we, we want to blame God because look what he did to me. But actually, if you look at God's way of looking at the world, the way he designed things, God says, you know what? I want you to take a day off every week. We're the ones who invented a seven-day work week. We invented the fact that right now people are working because they have to or, there's, or their boss made them work today or their schedule is that way because we work seven days a week. God is the one who says, actually, I gave you a day off. 
You're not taking it. I actually gave you freedom. I freed you out of slavery, not so you go and put yourselves back into slavery. So any sense of injustice or miserliness or feeling like God is a taskmaster is actually us. It's us doing it to each other. God is the one who wants to give us days off and give us freedom and step in his, into his generosity. You see, no one is ever honored because they kept receiving. People are honored because they gave. No one is ever poor because they gave or because they're generous. They were poor because of a lifestyle or poor choices that were either handed to them or they stepped into or they're, they're imitating somebody else wherever it may be. Now, I want you to hear as I'm talking this morning that, that some of you, I know your stories that, that people have just gone through a divorce or through bankruptcy. They've filed Chapter 11. They've been on the unemployment line forever and can't get a job because they don't have the education or whatever it may be. And I'm not talking about those sorts of things, okay? Please hear me. There are seasons in life, and I've been there myself, where we're struck by poverty or indebtedness, not by our choice, but certain things that happen in life. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about deliberate choices that we make that perpetuates or creates poverty in our life because we're being disobedient or we've not been taught differently. But no one has been made poor because they were generous. In fact, the most generous people that I know are always the poorest. And having grown up in the Southern Hemisphere in abject poverty and surrounded by people who are in abject poverty, I can say that that is true. In the face of adversity, though, what are our choices? What do we do? And they say this, the good news is the permission and the command to enter difficulty with hope. The gospel is the permission and command to enter difficulty with hope. That in every circumstance of life, we are not subject to our circumstances. That we are people of hope. That we're people who make a choice that in this situation, I'm choosing hope and I'm choosing to break this. Whatever's happening in my life that is not life-giving to me. And so David is helping other people do that. He's helping people so that we, even today, must learn to manage our money so that we can serve, so that we can be kingdom people. You know, when you're working three jobs, as I was at one point in my life, by, by the way, and struggling to get by, you have no time for anything else but survival thinking. And God wants to move us out of survival thinking into being people who are kingdom people that actually have some margin or time in our life that we can serve in the kingdom, that we can go out and bless our neighbors as we did last weekend, that we actually have that kind of margin so that we might give away life and be generous towards others. Amen. That's what kingdom people do. That's, That's what God calls us to. Here's the other thing. Generosity does not depend on who's receiving. John Bunyan, the great Puritan, said this, you have not lived today until you have done something for someone who can never repay you. You have not lived today until you have done something for someone who can never repay you. Mephibosheth has zero chance of repaying David. Zero. <laughs> and David's going to come in and bless him incredibly. You see, I, I don't know about you, but, but I, I want to choose who I'm generous with. I want to be people I like, people who like me, people who are going to honor me, people who's going to think I have a good name. I want to be generous towards people who are going to make me feel good, right? I want to choose who I love, right? But let me ask you something. Did you choose your family? 
Oh boy, and boy, did I, could I, I wish I could rewrite that one, huh? Who chooses your family? Who chooses your neighbors? Who chooses your, your colleagues at work or your, your fellow students at school or wherever God has placed you doing that? Do we make those choices? No. I mean, sometimes we have the power to do that, but generally speaking, we don't. You see, love does not begin by defining who we're generous with. Love helps us discover who we're going to be generous with. And in order to do that, you have to be looking for opportunity, as David is doing, and then not deciding who he's going to be generous with. God is going to decide who he's generous with. And so Ziba says, well, this this guy. Well, where, where is he? He's at the son of uh, Makir, son of Amiel, in Lodavar. Lodavar in Hebrew means nowhere. It could also mean nothing, by the way. He's living nowhere. He's living in nothingsville. This is some backwater that no one cares about. It's not even on the map. I don't even think I can find it in, in, in my map quest as I'm trying to look this thing up. It's nowhere. He's off the grid. He's, he's so unimportant. No one cares, David. Do you understand this? No one cares about this guy. He's better off forgotten. He's not even living on family land because no one cares about him. But he is the son of Jonathan, your best friend. And oh, by the way, he's lame in both feet. Now, all we need to do is, is, is go back about five chapters to 2 Samuel 4, and you see that when news of Saul and all his son's death reached the family, the family fled. The Philistines had slaughtered their, their, the main heads of their family, so they fled. And while they're fleeing, Mephibosheth was five years old, and his nurse or babysitter, we don't know which one she was, the, she, as she's running, she drops him, and he lands from some kind of height, which caused him to be lame. So from five years old on, this, this guy ha had been lame. He is a grandson of the king. But how is he identified? The first thing that Ziba mentions, oh, he's lame. That's his identity. Oh, and, and by the way, his name, Mephiboseth, means a shamed thing or a shameful person. So he lives in Lodavar, nowhere, in Nothingsville. And by the way, his name is Ashame. How'd you like introducing you to someone and say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a shameful person and I live nowhere. I live in nothing. I mean, let me, let me introduce myself to you. Talk about developing a complex. So here he is. He's going to be brought before David. Feeling like what? Feeling like I'm nothing. Feeling like I'm standing off far in a distance. I'm nowhere even on the map. Anyone ever felt that way? That you're nothing. No one cares. No one pays any attention. And so when he, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David in verse 6, he bows down and pays his honor. And they begin having a conversation together. Now, now, most people, when they want and pursue somebody, it's because they're going to get something from them. Or hopefully this person is in a place of position or power that I'm going to benefit right from this conversation somehow. There's some, going to be some reward in, in this exchange. That's why I, I'm doing this thing. And yet, when he looks at it, this is a guy who's from nowhere, whose name means shame, who's lame, 
And David is going to give him attention. He's going to give him time. Simon Ville, who's a French writer, said this, attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. Sometimes the first way you can be generous with someone is giving them your attention, treating them with the dignity and the honor as people created in the image of God. And that's what David is doing. That's how he starts by being generous with him. Don't be afraid, David says to him in verse 7. Why? Because the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin are like the Hatfields and the McCoys. There are two groups of people who presented the first two kings of Israel that are fighting constantly. They're at each other's throats. And, and as, as a story unfolds, we begin to say, okay, Mephibosheth comes from that other tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. How does he feel about David? How has he been taught to feel? You know, when David's son Absalom comes and tries to take the throne and try to murder his own father and David has to flee, a Benjamite, a relative of Mephibosheth by the name of Shemi, comes out and begins to throw rocks at David as he's fleeing Jerusalem and cursing him. And he says the following things to him in 2 Samuel 16, 8. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of David, in whose place you reign. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you're a murderer. And you know what's crazy about this? Is none of this is true. Is David did the exact opposite when he had repeated opportunity to kill Saul, who was trying to hunt him down and kill him. He doesn't do it. He says, I refuse to touch the Lord's anointed. God has anointed Saul to be king. I refuse to touch him. I, I, I could get vengeance on him. I could assassinate him right now. But he chooses repeatedly not to do that. He chooses not to divide the kingdom when he was the greatest general in all of Israel. He could have grabbed the army and taken the kingdom. He refuses to create a civil war. He refuses to grab anything for himself himself. Instead, in adversity, he's generous in blessing other people. He's protecting other people. And so Mephibosheth comes in front of him, and, and, and David is looking at him. He could have been thinking, you know, your grandfather spent years trying to kill me, and let me tell you what I'm going to do for you now. And David said, I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore Restore. I'm going to restore. God wants to restore. God wants to restore. Do you hear it? Do you understand it? He wants to restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. He has just entirely changed his future. You're the, actually, you're the grandson of my chief enemy. Your relatives hate me. They all think you're cursed, by the way, because you're lame and your name means shame. But I'm going to bless your socks off. I'm going to be generous like you can't believe. I'm going to give you back the inheritance that has been taken from you. I'm going to give you a future. And in doing so, he completely changes this guy's life. You see, the third thing I want to say is generosity affirms our identity. Generosity affirms our, our identity. Let me give you one example from, from uh, the New Testament, Zacchaeus. You know that guy that, that ran the IRS cartel in, in, in Jericho? 
that, that, that he ran that whole thing, man. He ran that whole thing. He had his percentage from the top, and everyone else got their lower percentages after him. He knew exactly what he's doing. He stole from more people than you could possibly imagine. Well, Jesus says, I'm going to come and have lunch with you. And just Jesus doesn't preach at him, doesn't accuse him of anything, doesn't do nothing. He just hangs out with him and has lunch. And during the course of that lunch, something happens to Zacchaeus. So he says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now. Not someday, not next year when the prophets have changed, but now, right now, right now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone of anything, I will pay back four times the amount, by the way, which is the Old Testament law. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. What just happened? Zacchaeus' identity completely changed. And because he stole from just about everybody, if he's paying back four times as much, he just started a revival in the city of Jericho. Everyone's now as happy. I mean, he started a party because his salvation touched everyone else. His generosity, his doing the right thing, his blessing, everyone else around him changed everything. Why? Because he stepped into who he truly is. He discovered who he truly is and what he's about. That's what generosity does. True generosity, it has been said, is when you give your all and yet you feel like it costs you nothing. True gen generosity is when you give your all and let you feel like it costs you nothing. And I think Zacchaeus felt that. So Mephibosheth bowed down, verse 8, and says, What is your servant that you should notice me, a dead dog? Now, I lived for eight years in the Middle East, and this is a generalization, generally true. Dogs are not well-loved or taken care of in the Middle East. They're looked at scavengers and dirty and annoyance. I have been into multiple homes of both Palestinians and Israelis. I never once saw a dog. Now, I'm sure that they're there somewhere, but I never else, I only saw the place I saw them was on the streets. So when he's saying dead dog, it's like an insult that the Arabs give today, which is look at the bottom of my feet. Which is why some of you may re remember at the time of uh, Bush giving an interview shortly after the events of 9-11, an Arab reporter picked up a shoe and threw it at him. No one else but Arabs in the room understood what was going on. He just cursed Bush. Right? By throwing a shoe. Saying, you're lower than this, is what he's saying at the bottom of your shoe. So he's saying a dead dog. That's how he sees himself. Do you think we got a complex of Mr. Shame who lives nowhere? And David is going to be the agent of good news. He's going to bring the gospel. He's going to give him attention. He's going to give him a future. He's going to bless him financially. He's going to change everything. And so he summoned Ziba, the, the Saul's steward, and his family and says, you are going to now start farming for him. You're going to take care of him and his family. This one is going to come and sit at my table. He's going to come and eat with me and my family because he's not a homeless refugee anymore, but he's part of a king's family. You know, when I, when I was a kid, they had this rock candy that had words on it. And so as a kid, you're obsessively licking on this rock candy 
because you want to get down to the words. You want to be able to erase those words eventually. And you just kept licking and licking and licking obsessively, which the designers of this candy were brilliant, right? Because you want to get that, that raw candy off of it. In the, in the UK, it actually had the word Brighton written on it. And you would lick this rock candy, and you kept trying to get it down to get the words off the candy. And they never came off because they were very creative, and the word went all the way through the piece of candy. God's generosity goes all the way through. Goes all the way through us, if we'll let it. His love goes all the way through us, not surface level, all the way through. The problem is this, God is always trying to give us good things, but our hands are too full to receive them. God is always trying to give us good things, but our hearts and minds are too full of the temporal, the cheap, to receive that, which is wealth beyond measure. Are your hands too full? A father was uh, raising his son, and when he thought the son was old enough to kind of understand these things, he says, you know, son, I just want to tell you a fight is going on inside of me. It's a terrible fight between two creatures. I got, I got one creature that, like, it wants to kill me. It's greedy. It's avarice. It's selfish. It's bitter. It's angry. And it just leers its ugly head at me, and I fight that constantly. And there's another creature inside of me that is loving and kind and compassionate and sharing and giving and generous, and I feel this fight going in me all the, all the time. I think the same fight is going in you, son. And, and the son was, was trying to think through this thing. He thought for a moment, and he says, well, which, which creature will win? And the dad said, the one you feed. I want to invite the worship team to come up. Let's pray together. And Lord, as we come before you, we recognize that every day we make choices, we make decisions about what we're feeding. And Lord, we find that sometimes we're, we're feeding ourselves with, with things that we know are going to kill us, things that are unhealthy, things that only end up making us angry and more lonely and more isolated and embittered. And Lord, have mercy on us for feeding those things that steal life. And instead, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and fill us with those things that are life-giving. Fill us with things that are life-giving. And we want to just take a moment and and bless those who are in, in business. Those who are either entrepreneurs, you either launched a business or you're going to start a business or you're working in a business. If, if that is you, would you stand? We're just going to pray for you right where you are. Okay, look around you. See the people who are standing, they're involved in business, they're entrepreneurs, or they're helping in a business, whatever it may be. We're just going to pray for them. We all know that Jesus talks about money a lot. More of his parables had to do with that than just about anything else. He talked about blessing those and blessing finances, and we're going to bless these people right now. So if you're around them, would you just get up? Get up and put a hand, nice hand on the shoulder of the people around you. We're just going to bless them.
Jesus, I believe, loved business people. I believe he loved entrepreneurship. I believe he loved people who were sowing into the kingdom that way because it's so practical. So, Lord, we take a moment and just bless this person that we have our hands on right now. Lord, we bless them in their household, their marriages, their children. We bless their finances in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that you would give them new strategies about their businesses. You give them new thoughts, new approaches to their businesses. You would speak innovation and creativity to them. You would bless them with your spirit, Lord, that they would be able to stand back for a moment And see what you're doing where they are. See what they're doing with, with those that they're working with. With either boards or supervisors or bosses or colleagues or whatever it may be. That you would show them, Lord, what you're doing. You give them fresh vision, fresh eyes. Speak vision. Holy Spirit, speak vision to them. Speak strategy to them. And bless them. So just take a moment and pray for them right now if you're with them. As the Holy Spirit leads you, take a moment and pray for them. Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would give them a, a kingdom econ economy, a kingdom economy, that which is marked by eternity because it goes beyond their generation into the next and beyond. Give them a sense of kingdom economy, your eternal purposes in what they do. Bless them, Lord, we pray. Let's all stand together and give God thanks.